Hello, you are listening to Greenlit's panel on from stage to screen. My name is Grace O'Keefe. I'm head of community and theater at greenlit.com, a crowdfunding platform designed by and for creatives. And just earlier today, I was joined live at the Vault Festival with a very exciting industry panel talking about the transition from stage to screen. Now, if you hear any train noise rumbling overhead, that is because we are in the vaults. We are in the basement underneath Waterloo. So you'll feel like you are right in the theater. We had a very exciting panel joining us this afternoon. Uh, first up, we had Natalie Denton, development executive at Popcorn Group. As development executive, Natalie coordinates the slate working in development on numerous films and television projects and coordinates the Popcorn Writing Award with BBC Writers Room, which is held annually at the Edinburgh Fringe. We are also joined by Simon Nelson, the Drama Development Executive for BBC Writers Room, the BBC's department dedicated to the discovery and development of both new and experienced screenwriters. Based in Broadcasting House, he has responsibility for writer development in London and the South, as well as overseeing pan-UK projects, which currently include Open Call, Pilot, Voices South, and The Break. And finally, we were joined by Olga Cox. Olga is a writer and comedian across radio, television, and film. She was nominated for Best Newcomer at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in 2018, Best Show at Leicester Comedy Festival in 2020, longlisted for Best Stand-Up Show at the National Comedy Awards in 2021, and her show Fight won the 2022 Writers Guild Award for Best Radio Comedy. I hope you enjoy this amazing panel discussion, and please, if you're ever interested in crowdfunding, check us out at greenlit.com. Um, I'm Grace O'Keefe. I'm part of Greenlit, which is a crowdfunding company for film and theater. So very appropriately today, theater to film, TV, etc. Um, we've got a fabulous panel today, um, and I'll just start by quickly introducing everyone. Uh, to my left, we have Simon Nelson, who is uh, the drama development executive for the BBC Writers Room. Lovely. <laughs> Round of applause, everyone. <laughs> I, you definitely deserve a round of applause. Um, next, we have writer and comedian uh, Olga Koch. <laughs> and finally, Natalie Denton, who is development executive at Pop the Popcorn Group. Amazing. <laughs> we love it. Yeah, so if you'd like to start off by, uh, I gave a brief introduction of what you do, but telling me what, what does your job entail? What do you do? Whoever wants to begin, the floor is yours. <laughs> okay. Um, so I work for BBC Writers Room, which I hope most of you have bumped into at some stage, um, be it online or whatever, um, which is the bit of BBC drama which whose job is to d discover and develop develop new and emerging writers tends to be early career writers we sometimes work with mid-career writers who've got a bit stuck but generally it's early career writers the vast majority of majority of whom have been working in the theater usually usually small scale and fringe um, but who we have seen something in them that we feel at the moment is right to engage with them for screenwriting um, Hi everyone, my name is Olga, I'm a stand-up comedian, I do stand-up comedy. <laughs> uh, I'm Natalie, I work for Popcorn Group, which is an independent, um, 
I was going to say film company, but we also do TV and then we also get roped into doing theatre a lot. We try not to, but we end up doing it anyway because um, it's our kind of first love. Um, yeah, that's and I, I'm the development exec there. So I work across the slate on the we've got 20 projects we're working on at the moment. Amazing. And I think what's special, what I love about this panel is that both everyone's career is still straddling that line between stage and screen. Um, and it's, you know, they're intertwined part of your business. Can I ask for more detail? So what does a development executive exactly do? It's actually a really good question. Um, I always say to, to writers embarking on um, wanting to become screenwriters, is ignore what anybody is called in television, just find out what they do. Because, <laughs> um, I mean, I'm fundamentally a jumped up script editor who could read a spreadsheet. That's really all my title means. Um, uh, I mean, development executive is, you know, anyone with development in their title, their job is to develop scripts mm -hmm. or to develop writers, which is what my job involves. Um, the writer's room is structured right across the UK. So we've got five different offices. Um, I look after the London office, so I'm based on Broadcasting House. And my sort of parish is London, South England, South East, and England, South West. Um, but I also, I'm number two in the department, so I look after lots of pan-UK stuff as well. But the very, very, on a very basic level, my job is about making writers write better scripts. Hmm. On a very, very basic level. And that's kind of the most important part of my job. And all the other bits kind of sometimes get in the way. Mm. But that's really the important thing because what we're looking for is to skill up our writers so that we have writers ready to write the great content of the years to come. Um, and sometimes that might be in six months or it might be in, in 10 years, but we have to have writers coming through that process because writing for television is a craft. It's an art as well, but it is a craft. And, it, and it's, you know, if you, if you have the right voice and the right um, natural artistic ability to write great characters and great story, it's very easy to teach you how to write for television. Can't do it the other way around. I mean, some people are brilliant at kind of writing beautifully structured pieces of work, but there's nothing in the middle of it. And I can't fix that, but I can fix the, the brilliant thing, the diamond in the rough that's maybe a bit messy, but actually has something extraordinary in the middle. And that's what we look for whenever we're looking at scripts. Amazing. Natalie, is that the same? Uh, yeah, I kind of do the same thing. Um, our company's very small. There's only um, now five of us. We had four. Uh, and by kind of, as well as doing very similar to what Simon does, I also am a producer for the company. So my job is mostly taking things, developing the scripts, making sure they're in a great place. And then I also coordinate packaging, casting, uh, financing. <laughs> It's not the fun bit. Um, and uh, and then I see the project all the way through to the end. So on our last feature film we did, um, I was also kind of helping coordinate festival submissions, marketing, everything we had, including kind of, we have a lot of kind of bespoke work that we do around our films too. Um, and I normally coordinate all of that. And then we also run an award every year at Edinburgh, which we do with the BBC Writers' Room, um, which I coordinate as well across eight, seven venues in Edinburgh as well so it's a lot of different things but that's what makes it interesting and we try and our work is super varied 
in terms of genres as well. So the work, we don't really have anything on the slate that's similar to anything else. So we don't get pigeonholed as a company. Amazing. And then Olga, you're kind of on the other side of things. And I think where a lot of people in this room um, are, you know, are coming from the similar position of being a creative, being a writer. So how did you make the transition from writing for stand up and on stage to uh, on screen? So I would just like to preface this by saying that like I am first and foremost a stand-up comedian and I'm still to this day mostly a stand-up comedian. And I think um, w one of the most comforting and, and is, uh, comforting aspects of doing stand-up in the UK uh, is that there is some semblance of structure as a stand-up comedian that you can sort of fall back on. I feel like in a lot of other scenes in a lot of other countries, people are just floating and waiting for that big moment. Whereas here in the UK, you can apply to be in competitions. You can always do the fringe. Again, how affordable the fringes and what it's become in the past few years is a whole different conversation but at its most basic level like even if you you have nothing you have the opportunity to write an hour of stand-up or theater or whatever and then bring it up to the fringe and have it be seen there and have it be reviewed there and so for me that's a really I, I love structure so for me I've just like that's been my routine so I will develop a show I'll bring it to the fringe I'll then tour the show and then I will sell it for parts and so that, that, and that is and it's really it's it for me like in a creative industry it's so uh, it's so rare to find structure or like a path that is even relatively clear that the second i found out about the fringe to me that that was like oh if all else fails i can always do this um and so with my first show i performed the show it, it was i mean i it was relatively successful um and I, i'm only saying this not to brag but to to tell you that I ho hope that some of the things that I'm saying have legitimacy, but I was nominated for Best Newcomer for the first show. And I remember there were like a ton of meetings afterwards and they're like, amazing stand-up show. What's the script? And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Because uh, obviously like a TV script is a completely different skill set. It has, as you've already mentioned, like I did an hour of stand-up comedy where I was talking in my own voice and they were like, okay, well done, where's the script? So like you are expected to, to develop a completely different set of skills. Like the reward for being good at one thing is to get to do another, which made no sense at the time. And only with time did I realize, oh, okay, this is, this is, the stand-up show is a proof of concept for something like a script. Um, and so I got um, commissioned to do a pilot for FX in the US for the that first hour. Um, and that is like that was like a huge learning curve because it was it, it came from like me alone on stage for an hour to writing like a 30-minute pilot for a major US network. So that was, um, and I was doing it with my director of the live show and co-writer, Charlie Dinkin, who's amazing, you should look her up. Um, and I, and I, sorry, I'm meandering, but yeah. And then like my second show went in with, is with ITV now. And so, oh God, I'm so sorry. I just, I'm so used to people laughing that I'm, <laughs> that I, I just, my brain is like, you're failing, you're failing. You're <laughs> <laughs> I'm so we can pepper in a laugh every ah. once in a while. <laughs> oh <laughs> God. So, so basically, I guess like for for the to be relevant for this panel, like I guess it, it, for me, stand up has been a very good way to uh, to pr like as a proof of concept for narrative scripted ideas. Mm. No, amazing. Does I, that make sense? It definitely makes sense. <laughs> and I think one thing that we've all touched on, and I didn't tell you I was going to ask this, but is the Edinburgh Fringe and that as a showcase, uh, both 
for you to finding new writers and as a writer, putting your work out there and getting it noticed. Um, obviously, we've also touched on, you know, the difficulties of Edinburgh Fringe, particularly in the past few years and the affordability. Um, but what do you see? And again, this is such a big question that I'm throwing at you without any preparation. What do you see as Edinburgh's role going forward in the future as these issues are arising? I mean, from my point of view, um, you know, a large part of my job is is to to go and see new work, and Edinburgh is a place to see it. But it's from my point of view, it's not the be all and end all, and I am not blind to the fact that it is bloody expensive to put on a show in Edinburgh. And you know, if you can get back on that, you know, LNER train at the end of the festival and have have broken even. You're really, really unusual. I mean, that's that's a that's a victory. So, um, and you know, for some people, that's just not viable. So I'm, you know, I, I think it's, it's it's if you're putting your work on, you have to be realistic about where you're going to put it. I know I and my colleagues are not particularly swayed by the fact that something's on Edinburgh. We are there because it's a really good place to see lots of things in a short period of time. This venue is also excellent for that, and myself and my colleagues have been sneaking in and out of shows for the last six weeks or whatever, um, and you know, and and lots of other places as well, and and you know, so, so it's one way of seeing new written work. It's not the only one, and sometimes you know we have an open call every year, and um, when anyone who wants can send us a script, so they don't have to put it on. Um, has anyone sent us a script over the? at all yeah a few of you yeah um it's you know we get about five thousand it's a it's a big shout and you know it's there's a lot of scripts come into that so edinburgh is a route it's a way to see things and it's it's fabulous when i think if you do it i think it can be great fun but but you I don't think- have to look at me it's okay <laughs> <laughs> i know i know it's a it's 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 problematic in so many ways yeah i think it's you know i think the, the economics of it i'm not sure how sustainable the economics of it I'd also say that um, as much as Edinburgh feels like it's the be all and end all, we have a huge network of people that we talk to on a regular basis who aren't just Edinburgh venues. So we have people emailing us all the time saying there's, you know, like a one night of something at like the White Bear, which I went to last week, like of things that of people to see. So it's not just necessarily about uh, cultivating any sort of because I also know it's very hard to get into the venues at Edinburgh that's going to open those doors for you as well that's, that's the reality too because you're just competing with so many people so it's also good to like you know just pick a like a really if, like if, particularly if you're like emerging and I would say just like pick a really amazing small space that you can cultivate a relationship with like this is interesting because I started as a theatre director before I was a producer so I, this is what I did I had like um like a small space in Islington that I did all my stuff at and they started talking to people on behalf of me saying she's got something on you need to come and see this so it's not just this bigger venues it's also the smaller places everyone's trying to get your work seen so I wouldn't just yeah Edinburgh's really not the be all and end all it's Fair enough. Are there any uh, venues or other festivals around the country that in particular, you know, have you found that uh, have a lot of great work programmed or are kind of maybe another feeder of uh, for creatives and writers to look out that maybe are underrated? 
I think there are loads. I mean, some of them are very um, quite niche in, in in as much as they're you know they're festivals for for I don't know on a particular theme or for a particular community or, or anything like that, but. Um, in terms of, you know, if you have something that you really believe in and you get it on stage, um, pe- people will come and people will come and see it. And I mean, it sounds really bleeding obvious, but you know, people often say to me, "How do I get you to come to my play?" Ask me. <laughs> it's really simple. I mean, you know, in fact, the headline of my Twitter account is, "I'll come to your play if you ask me." You know, it's. It's, and we do we do as a team try and get and we cover the whole of the UK so you know we try and cover the ground as much as we can also from a stand-up comedy perspective I think the consensus within comedy right now at least as far as I know is like it's good for Edinburgh to be a thing but uh, it's actually also good that it's no longer the thing That's and so so many people coming out now yeah. that have not done the fringe or the fringe has not served them and like TikTok did more for them or even Volts or Camden Fringe did more for them so I think that's a really a good development but there's so many like there's so many comedy festivals that I've done across the country that Brighton Fringe uh, Aberystwyth Comedy Festival McKinley Comedy Festival, uh, what else? Glasgow Comedy Festival. Like, there's Leicester Comedy Festival is huge. They just announced their awards list. So, um, and all of these, um, all of these festivals have new work. All of these festivals have prizes, uh, press teams, all that. So, I, I'm, I think it's exciting that there's more, uh, more festivals, and it's, it's time for a new city on, <laughs> on the scene. Yeah. Leicester's the new Edinburgh. <laughs> Don't quote me on that. <laughs> <laughs> I think also there's a lot more theatres around the country that are really interested in new writing mm. and, and and they have cultivated an audience who are prepared to risk coming to see a new play because that's just as important you know if, I mean, if you, can, you can you know put your faith in a writer and let them do their new play but if nobody's going to come and see it it's a bit of a waste of time but there's a lot like I was at the live theatre in Newcastle last week seeing a new play it's a brilliant new play mm. managed to catch the writer afterwards had a chat we're going to try and engage with them in some way so you know you, especially if you're if you're not from London um, you know finding that local theatre that deals with with new writers and new writing and getting involved with that I think is really important and you know you and you start to get you know w- one person shows or a stage reading or perhaps a full commission for a couple of weeks or whatever but but there is more interest in, in it I think around the country and that's that can only be a good thing Definitely. And so once you've made that first step, so Olga, you mentioned you did your one hour and people asked, what, what, where's the pilot? Where's the script? What would you recommend for, you know, writers out there, comedians, playwrights, et cetera, who have their, their stage show ready, uh, but they want to get that pilot ready? What are the kind of the nuances between stage, writing for stage versus writing for screen? And kind of, I know, uh, Simon, you were saying it's about getting that kind of that diamond even if it's in the rough, but how do, I guess, writers polish that diamond to the level that it can, you know, shine through for anyone to, uh, like you who might be reading this script? Tough for me? Yes. Um, I think if you want to write television, you've got to watch television. Mm. Um, I, I, I can't tell you the amount of times I've had a writer come in to see me and they want to write for the screen. And I say, well, what have you been watching? He says, oh, I don't really like television. Mm-hmm. I say, well, don't waste my time. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's fine. You don't have to like it. But why do you want to write for it if you don't like it? It's, really, it's a really weird thing to say. So I think you have to watch it. I think you have to watch it 
this might ruin your enjoyment of, of any of any television henceforward but you have to watch it quite actively I think you have to ask yourself why do I like this why is this why is this show working what is at the heart of this show that really cuts through or conversely I think sometimes you learn much more from shows you hate you go, why do I not like this what is it about this central character that it just isn't doing it for me because from all of that that then you you learn to apply that to your own script um, and read scripts as well we've got like a thousand plus television scripts on our website they're all downloadable in PDF I mean don't, don't download them at once you'll wreck your computer but um, but you know it, they're, they're there and they're shooting scripts so, so you know you can you can see where the script has got to in the development process and you'll be able to see from that how scripts work um, and if you're very nerdy you can look at the script while you're watching the episode. And what's really interesting about that is that you'll notice that sometimes the, sh the show has changed again in the cutting room. Um, so there's one script there uh, which Russell T. Davis wrote, which was about the Jeremy Thorpe affair. I can't remember the title. But that's his final script. But in the cutting room, he moved sequences around as well. So actually, the show does not reflect, reflect the script. So, you know, you're changing all the time. They say no drama is ever finished. It's just abandoned. Um, <laughs> But you need to watch. No, 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 thank you. I've got to laugh. <laughs> but you, you know, you need to watch television drama and you need to 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 read it and and then look very very assiduously and honestly at your own work and ask, is this excellent? Not is it good enough? Is it excellent enough? Um, and is it doing the things that that really make it? rise off the script but I mean Olga was absolutely right that thing about you know the first thing that you go into any meeting with any production company the first thing they say is where's your spec which is being specimen script where's your script and and if you are thinking of a career in, in screenwriting you gotta write one there's there isn't a way around it it's just I tried <laughs> um, and it will probably not get made is the other thing that's the script where they'll go we loved your spec it's fantastic now uh, what else have you got and and the script is a calling card. That's that's the, the thing to show what you can do. But it probably won't get commissioned. Yeah, it normally gets you the meeting, doesn't yeah. it? And then yeah. everything else changes. What I'd also say is, this is going to sound really obvious, but I cannot tell you the amount of times I've read stage adaptations of things. Uh, when you... I, I would have normally come to see your show or read it as a stage play. So when you bring it as a pilot, please do not just put it into a pilot form in exactly the same. So like with a voiceover of a person, I know Fleabag did this, but it's slightly different what I'm saying. That um, like with a voiceover with this exactly the same dialogue that you had just moving it in and then adding in a couple of like set and scenes and setting the space. I've read it so many times. Like what I'm interested in is like, can you expand on your world? What are your other characters? A lot of the times, like we've got a, a TV show we've worked on for the last three years, which started off as a show that we saw a proof of concept of at the Pleasance, like 10 minutes of it. And it's uh, the play, there's one scene from the play in the pilot and the rest of it is completely different. So it's like, just have a think about expanding on that. That's really important. Because otherwise it's like, I loved your play, but I want to see what you can do with the world of it a bit more. Mm. Um, I guess from the creative perspective, I, and let me preface this by saying I'm nobody and don't listen to anything I say, but the two pieces of advice that I feel comfortable giving because those are like the two things that I think about every day is like, first and foremost, you have to, 
be willing and excited to work with other people like you there i'm sure i i feel like this is something that i tell other stand-up comedians and more so than other writers because i feel like writers know that it, it takes a village but it's like there's a reason why that you have a director there's a reason why you have co-writers there's a reason you have producers why, there's a reason you have stage managers and like all these people are bring their own thing to the table something of their own to the table and they're valuable and like and they make the, the finished product much greater so it's like I don't know I just feel I, a lot of the time and I guess I think it's more of a stand-up thing because it's like there's so much ego and there is you do feel like you're giving away a little part of yourself if you're crediting someone else but like you're getting so much more in return and it's the most exciting thing is working with other people who get it who are on your frequency who are contributing and like pitching things and it's um it, it was very very exciting to work with Charlie who was my director and then co-writer and like Burke's Nest is a production company that I work with for all the live stuff and I just feel like get as many people involved as possible the most exciting bit is not performing the thing or collecting the award for the thing the most exciting thing the most exciting bit of the whole creative process is sitting around with your friends who get you and shooting the shit and being like what if they say this what if they say that and this and then having your friends read through it and give notes and like just work work with people you respect because it's fun and it's exciting and rewarding and it will make for a better product at the end so people 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 um and the second thing and i'm originally from russia but I am on the Ukraine side in the war, and this is something that I need to say. But um, it's, I, I just need to clarify. But there is a Russian expression um, that I come back to all the time that is, uh, best is the enemy of good, which is the exact opposite of the advice that you gave. But a lot of the time, I think people get bogged down in perf uh, perfectionism, and then they that stops them from releasing any work at all. Uh, um, and I think Kill Your Darlings is in the same sort of area where it's like, don't be precious. Like, you will get so much feedback feedback where people are like delete 99% of this and it's like it will not serve you to be like no I'm a genius fuck you like no delete it because if you believe in yourself and you back your own talent then you can write a million more jokes like this or a million more lines like this or a million more scripts like that because like you're talented so don't attach yourself too much to specific lines or scenes uh, or stories because you're you're talented and you can do it a million times over I agree. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> Amazing. So if uh, if there is a creative out there who wants to make that jump from things for the stage to making things for the screen, are there any opportunities or pieces of like pieces of what is the word next steps in the process like should they think about making a short film or a sketch or think about kind of making that uh, transition themselves without having you know the backing of a production company behind them but for me radio has been huge mm. so my first hour fight was a stage show then it was a half hour on radio four and then it was um, a, a like commission for, for a pilot at FX and then my second show if then is now in its second season as a Radio 4 series called OK Computer. Um, so I it, like radio is that perfect middle ground, even podcasting or scripted podcasting is something um, also that is like, it goes to that middle stage of it is no longer a proof of concept, but it also doesn't require as much budget and as many people as a video production. So I think audio is really, really cool. And you could do really ambitious things because you could do, you could do sci-fi with just sound effects. And I just think if you have like a cool sound engineer, you could really do really exciting things in podcasting and radio. You can also command really, really great actors as well on radio. I got Sindhu V to be in my show. She's literally in an Amazon Prime series. She wouldn't show up to set if I, she, I asked her to film something, but she can record a voice now. 
<laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I had the experience. Um, I was working with a writer, and she'd written a really, really amazing monologue. We'd been commissioned to do five monologues, I think, for Radio 3. Um, and we got, you know, we'd edited it, and we got it down to what it was. And um, But I was chatting to her about, you know, what was the voice of the the person that she heard and this was to be her first piece of broadcast drama and she said well I sort of hear a voice a bit like Liam Neeson and um, and we said well we can approach him because it's radio and he can literally do this in an afternoon so he was in New York actually at the time he was doing a show in New York um, and but he loved the piece he really liked it and we set up a Sunday afternoon recording down the line and her first piece of broadcast drama had Liam Neeson in, which is which, which is so cool but you, but you wouldn't get that on television that would just be too much too much of an ask um, so you can you can get amazing casts for radio yeah I know because that's what I was going to say because it's like incredibly difficult to even make a short film <laughs> like you know everyone thinks it's it's not easy it's the same it's the same as making a f yeah. I honestly it's the same as making a feature but with less time actually and like less money and uh, so making a proof of concept is really difficult I just think because we work um, script up I know a, a few production companies will think visually first but we always think story first uh, so actually for me it's like if I've like I've got a lot of like relationships with emerging writers now who just send me st like stuff loads and loads of stuff to read and I will read all of it and you just see something you see something changing you see someone getting better and better and that normally helps i'd rather work with someone who has all these ideas is really hungry and they'll the you know, production companies will take the time and sit with you because also like if you guys aren't making the work the work is not going to get made like it's just that easy you know um and everyone gets this is a terrible thing to say but everyone gets bored of the same old voices do you know what i mean like, it's true so I think that's the like for me it's like cultivating relationships with like production companies and making sure you have coffees like I have someone that I see like every six months who's got constant ideas and things that she wants to make and and like you know I send notes back I do work with her it's not and then hope you know hopefully something will click and there'll be a moment where like we're all in sync together and we want to make the work do you so it's a lot of work I know it feels like a lot of work but it is worth it in the end in terms of opportunities we, we've got a lot um, and if you go to our website there's an opportunities page which has stuff from inside the corporation but also stuff from outside the corporation so and that changes kind of every day or every couple of days um, our big shout is open call which happens in the autumn which anybody can send a script to as long as it's 30 pages or more I think um, right now we've got an opportunity open for writers who um, identify as deaf disabled or neurodiverse um, and um, we'll be looking at those scripts whenever that closes I think the middle of April so um, so there is always somewhere to send your script if if you want to send it to us and uh, about networking and kind of having those coffees, how do, should people go about that, especially if they're just starting off in uh, kind of the world? Uh, this is actually quite, because I, I had to do that at the beginning of my, because I was working in theater for five years and then wanted to move into film and TV. And I am not kidding, I emailed like 700 people in three weeks and just to set, like constant. And then you flag the ones you really want to know 
whose work you really understand and you bug them like I'm, I'm not like I like and eventually you'll get people going I've got 10 minutes I'll have a call with you for 10 minutes you make sure you have good questions that are actually going to like you're going to get something from rather than being like what do you do because that's what <laughs> I have calls and they're like but what do you do and I'm like I have a, like we have a website just go and read the website like I want to know about what you want from me like give me a question that's going to help you and not that's about our company um honestly just bug people and they, they will give you time because they'd rather clear their inbox do you know what I mean <laughs> like yeah. I would rather set 10 minutes with you or like half an hour and have a coffee and like talk to you because also I they're the best they're also like the best times of my day like meeting new people and actually like connecting with different voices and things so mm. you will eventually but I would just target when I was when I was moving I had like 15 production companies that I emailed religiously like every 10 days and by the end of it they're seeing your name come up all the time so they're like I just have to okay, I'll, just, I'll just give you half an hour of my time and then you give them a list of things and then eventually like off the back of that I got like I shadowed as a third AD I've never ever been on set ever in my life and they were like we need a third AD it's really easy you just need to be really organized and just ferry people and it was like on a pinewood set with a, like doing like this it was like a massive underwater tank which was insane and was it Avatar? no <laughs> that would have been amazing no, I actually can't even remember what it was called now but I did like I mean, a it day would be on insane that if they had a, the third AD on Avatar which is a person who's Me. never done <laughs> yeah exactly um, but it was it was like a really great day and off the off the back of that I met both the like the line producer and the producer was like clearly you don't want to be on set like this isn't what you want to do I was like I want to work in development and then I had I got off the back of that like a two week stint at Revolution Films and then I got offered the job that I have now so like it was all I had like no connections with anybody I just kept battering and battering down and then you'll get these little moments and then people will go oh I I actually spoke to someone who could be a really good fit for you like when I joined Popcorn they were looking for someone who had stage experience which is quite rare in film anyway and I was like oh that's what I do like I work with contemporary writers like it's literally all I do all day um so yeah that is network also be in buildings like just be physically in a building like if you can get into a this is going to sound like I'm don't I'm not saying stalk people but <laughs> when I was working at the Young Vic I got opportunities there because I was just in the building yeah. and I was having drinks in like with my friends in the building and I'd see like Sue Emma's and be like oh my god I really love this show and she's like what do you do and then you're talking to, you're pitching automatically about who you are mm. and then you follow up with an email and then you go like I really want to do this project or I want to do this program they give you little bits here and there so it's just it's people really want to connect I know it feels like sometimes you're like emailing into a, a void but it's just because people are so so busy and our teams are getting squeezed left right and center because there's no money so you just have to go like I'm here please just speak to me yeah people do say it's about being in the right place at the right time but to be in the right place at the right time you have to be in a place at a time yeah. um, <laughs> you know the right place at the right time is not your bedroom um, and and sometimes you have to be a bit pushy about getting this I mean you know, most of the jobs I got, certainly early in my career, it's because I was in a, in a building. Because what, what people don't, I think, often don't realize when they don't work in television is everything in television is an emergency. <laughs> oh my God. Like, yes. absolutely <laughs> everything. So, so 
most of my jobs, certainly in the first five to ten years of my career, when I was just going from contract to contract, were somebody rang me in a panic. <laughs> um, so one of my very first jobs at the BBC, I was doing a short contract in the story department for EastEnders. And EastEnders is shot up in Elstree. Um, and at the time, you had EastEnders were there, Holby City was there, and a show called Grange Hill, which was a school soap, really. Some of you might remember it or not, but that was shot there as well. And I did a short contract in EastEnders. It was Friday afternoon. I don't know if you've been to Elstree, but it, it's got a hideous train service. And I was running down the main corridor in Elstree to catch my train. And there was a woman running the other way towards me. And as we passed, she leant over her shoulder and said, when do you finish EastEnders? And I said, I finished today. And she said, can you come in on Monday morning and Storyline Grange Hill? <laughs> that's how I got that job. Now, I'm not saying that's good. That's or that's a good thing to do. But that, because television works in emergency kind of all the time. Um, and, and I actually ended up st st staying in that building, literally going from freelance contract to freelance contract for about three or four years with basically that happening every six weeks from, you know, it's like, can you come and work in Holby? Oh, okay, what am I doing? Oh, we, well, just uh, something. And and that's where, where I learned quite a lot about story um, and the internal politics of a television company, which is going in my novel someday. But yeah, you try, and, try and get to be in, in, in a place. I know it's easy to say, but generally when you, you find when, when you've done it the first time, you tend to, and, and you, you know, and you've proven to be not completely useless, um, which is kind of my bar. Uh, people then just just get you back because you're there, you know. Yeah, I totally say that. I like the amount of people. Like, I when I moved into film, I was like, God, everyone's going to be really amazing at their jobs. It's going to be really difficult. Everyone's going to be so intimidating. I cannot tell you the amount of people that are just not so great. So you're going to be fine if you're good. Do you know? Like, honestly. It's really I mean, there's a distinct point in, in where I got, I think it was the first time I was made a producer, a senior. And anyway, in my head, I kind of thought there'd be a velvet curtain that would be drawn aside and I'd be ushered in and everybody would be magnificent. In fact, what I realized was everybody was as shit as me. It was quite refreshing. <laughs> well, that's very comforting to hear. <laughs> <laughs> no, perfect. And then I'll focus on a development executive question then. What, I guess, so let's say you they've written a script. It's amazing. You want to do something with it. What are the next steps after that? So something that's quite important to clarify is that we don't make anything. We commission stuff. Now, in my role in, in the writer's room, we also work with writers, and that's about developing the writers, not the project. But, a, you know, a, a television, a broadcaster, us, ITV, Channel 4, or a streamer, Netflix, Amazon, whoever, they commission independent production companies to make stuff for them. And so there's there's a dialogue that goes on where they will they will work with the writer hopefully and develop the pilot episode into a decent shape and it usually comes with a with a story bible and all that sort of thing and then they will pitch that to one or several broadcasters and at that point we will then work with the company to make that series work now I mean, already, you know, you're talking about many more people than you can count on both hands, which 
as a writer moving from theater into television, it can be quite daunting because what you are going to get is a shitload of notes. And they don't, sometimes they don't agree. In fact, sometimes they're massively contradictory. And that's quite difficult to take on. They're also, in, I think, for a lot of writers, the first time they receive a set of television notes is really shocking. Um, because you've sent a 60-page script and I've delivered back to you 120 pages of notes and you want to cry because you've poured your life and soul into this beautiful script and you've received a set of notes which basically are trying to get you to change absolutely everything. Um, and I don't know how we do that better, but they're, cause those are notes that have to be addressed and have to be fixed. Um, a good script editor will filter all those notes into one hopefully cogent and coherent set so it isn't contradictory. Um, but I think for, for writers shifting from theatre to, to television, that must be one of the very biggest shocks is that, you know, well, I've worked in the theatre for about 10 years and it's very collaborative and very organic and you have time to develop things together. and. Television can be quite combative at that stage when you're receiving those notes. What was it? Did you get lots of notes when you were doing your FX show? Yeah, loads. So that's like, that's why I was like, I cannot be precious. If I stick to any wording or any yeah. scene, then it's just going to end in tears. Yeah. You know, that's also what I'd also say about that, because I literally did this yesterday. I got delivered a, a feature film and had to send some brutal notes back um, and I ended up having a, a zoom about it this morning with the writer and it, when you get notes like that it also really highlights what's fucking important to you in your work because that's what she came back with she had two things that she highlighted and was like I'm going to fight tooth and nail because these are things that are really important to me. And then you go, well, that's what the script's about. Mm. Like, that's what it's about. It's not about, ex it's not about all the other things that you're talking about. Those are the things that are important to you. And that is what the story is. So it actually can be really helpful for that reason as well. You look back and then you're like, no, but I don't want to get rid of this because this is the reason I've written it. And I, that is also a really great way for us to really condense. Like when we go out and pitch for you, then it's like, I know what I know what's important to this writer. I know what the heart of this like this TV show that we're working on where I say that there's only one scene from the play in the TV show. Um it's this uh rip roaring comedy about abortion, guys. Um but that's like that was a thing and the but when we're pitching it, obviously broadcasters can be a bit scared about that because it can be quite intense. And so we've been going, this is what's really fucking important about it. We're going to fight really hard for it, but we're going to make it as dynamic and as entertaining and as open and as universal a story as possible. So you pick what's really important and then you like go, I will cover it in all this, like, all this amazing stuff that's going to make it more approachable. Mm. So I'd say that about that as well with getting the notes back. Because you do, you, and then you start going, that's not important. It's the same with Kill Your Darlings. Like you get going, oh, that's actually not important. This isn't important to me. This scene can go but this thing is really important. And then if you're able to argue it back, it, it means it is important. And it's like the reason you wrote the bloody thing in the first place. Now to reverse the question for you, Olga, basically, uh, the question was after you've written a script, they love it. What's the next steps from your end as the writer, as the creative? Is it, I guess it's probably- some Write another one. <laughs> <laughs> and then keep doing that until you die. <laughs> Good advice, hey. <laughs> <laughs> the hustle is never done. <laughs> oh, no, but like, 
done. It's never done, even if you get it. Like, obviously it's harder. It gets harder as you go up, right? Because mm. then you're like, you get in the door and then you have to spend probably years developing it. And then you have to like get it commissioned, which is like impossible. You think about the amount of people that you really go to. There's like a handful of people that you really apply to for TV. There's like 15 places you can really try and get a commission off. It's really hard. Like it's re it's really difficult. So you have to just keep writing like constantly. And that's the other thing. Like you might get a you know a production company might go like we've got 20 projects on our slate, but probably only like five will get made realistically so that's another thing you get in you're like oh brilliant i'm getting paid finally getting paid to do my work but then it might never see the light of day either so that's i know this is depressing but it's true <laughs> so you just have to keep writing yeah i think one of the hardest things to when you're writing and when you're creating something is to act to work hard as hard as you would if you knew for a fact that it was definitely happening but also remove your ego enough to not be completely heartbroken when it doesn't and that is a, a it's a constant balance because if you come in saying this is probably never going to get commissioned you're never going to work hard enough for it to get commissioned but if you come in saying this is getting made you're gonna get heartbroken and it you can only traumatize yourself so many times so there's it's a it's a constant balance of working it's almost you're constantly sort of gaslighting yourself all the time Healthy. <laughs> i work with a writer she's possibly one of the most successful writers in the country at the minute. Um, uh, but she, she, she won't be telling the story. Um, it's a writer called Sarah Phelps. And Sarah um, has immense canon of work, and she did an awful lot of the revamps of the Agatha Christie's, not so big costume dramas. Mm -hmm. And I heard her saying on, on a panel like this once that she has, she, whenever she starts a new job with a new script editor, she lays down her laws, which are, I will send you the script. You will send me the notes first thing in the morning, but and I will read them, and then we will not speak until the middle of the afternoon when we will speak by telephone. Because, in her own words, she gets the notes, reads them, cries, goes out for a walk, comes back, reads them again, and then has the telephone call. And this is someone who's written dozens of scripts, possibly hundreds, because she was on soap operas for quite a long time as well. So it, that never goes away, you know? Yeah. But it is really fun. <laughs> it is really fun, because then when you get into a room with people who really get you, it's like you were saying, it's like, it's a dream. You can spend hours and hours, like, it was the weirdest thing, like being on in lockdown and developing work and being on like a Zoom for six hours, never leaving your room, but feeling like, you know, it's a really strange thing. But it does, you know, when you're working with a good team who care and it really connects with your work, it can, you learn so much about yourself and what your capabilities are and like how far you can push something and, and the scenes that you can explore. It's great. I know it sounds like it can be really depressing, but it is really good. And it's all learning, which is like the best thing. Like there's, it's like, um, this is ages ago and it's about acting and not really about writing, but, Mark Rylance, when he wasn't as successful as he is now, um, he said that every he used to see every audition as an opportunity to act, and like that's the same way that you should think about your writing. Like everything is like an opportunity to get your ideas down on paper, look at the different worlds, explore it all, because it's all practice and it's all really, really, really useful. Like it's really useful. So. 
Mm-hmm. I would say when you when you're if you you know when you're writing your spec script, which is going to be your calling card, there are two points in your writing career that you can get to write pretty much whatever you want. One is at the very beginning when you're writing your spec script because nobody's going to make it, so you can go mad, okay. write whatever you like. Don't worry about budget, just do it. And at the very end, when you know you've got to the end of a very successful writing career and you're allowed to write whatever you want, mm-hmm. and in between, you will be constrained by annoying people like me telling you what they want and how you do it. But so if you're writing that spec script, just just get it all down there. Show 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 what you can do if you had a multi-million pound budget. Amazing. Well, I'm about to open it up for questions from the audience. Um, but before we do, um, I'll just ask, A, if there's any last piece of advice, but also if there's anything you want to promote or plug. I know we have some submissions windows coming up. I know, Olga, next week you've got a show at Leicester Square, uh, Wednesday, 7 p.m. Is that right? Oh, my God. Yes, you know. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> guys, please come. I have, a, I have a discount code. If you guys are free next Wednesday, please come. I promise it's a good show. <laughs> Both The Guardian and The Telegraph gave it four stars. It's a bipartisan. This is, it's the only thing that this country can agree on. <laughs> that this show is good. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent pitch. Go see Olga's show. Any, uh, I know we've got the Popcorn Writing Award. It's not open yet, but it's what we will be opening in April. Perfect. Definitely. Uh, closing in June, if any of you are taking anything to Edinburgh, please send it through your venues. We read everything. L- literally everything. We read everything, which means that uh, even if you go up to Edinburgh and you're skint and you have no money for marketing, we will have read your script. Mm. Like the things that we've saw, which we went up, which we shortlisted last year, which when I went to see them had just me in the audience, mm. Uh, I cannot tell you, like, I saw like three or four things that we ended up long listing that just had me there. So like, please send it in. Like we're very different. You don't need 10 grand to have a marketing budget to be read by us. So please send it. We've got an opportunities page on our website. It changes all the time. Use it. (laughs) Fantastic. All right. Well, I will open up uh, the floor to questions. Uh, If you just want to raise your hand up, Peter will bring the microphone around. Normally when I go and see stuff, I see it in three different ways. I try to anyway. So I will go, am I actually enjoying what I'm watching? Like having an actual visceral reaction to what I'm seeing. Um, is this is the writing and the dialogue? I don't, I'm not really interested in structure at that point. Like I kind of just want to know, is, is the voice really fresh? Is the dialogue sparky? Uh, am I getting a connection with what I'm watching? And then I'm going, is this subject matter that I can expand? into a full feature or a TV thing, like TV thing that I haven't seen before. So like, um, like Breathless is actually quite a good example on the, from the Popcorn Award last year, which got, uh, which was a finalist in the end. It was about hoarding, most amazing piece of work, really, really brave. And the dialogue was so brilliant. The acting was amazing, but I was like, I've never seen a show about hoarding, which hasn't been like the classic version of what hoarding is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like full of bright colors and it's beautiful. And the clothes that she talks about mm-hmm. are like, 
it's like creating a magic wonderland. And I'm like, that is what's really interesting about this piece. Like it was really, so that's what I'm thinking. I don't really care about structure because like we'd bring you in, like we would work very closely with you on structure anyway. Um, and also when you're in emerging, like if you're, if you haven't worked for TV, it's a thing, you're not going to learn that. Like you're not going to know it off the top of your head, you know? So that's, that's what's mostly what I'm, th I'm thinking, like subject matter, dialogue, and whether I'm thinking about it, connecting with it. I just look for the voice. Um, and that's probably because my, my job is, is to work with writers, not writing. Um, so when I'm watching something, I'm, I'm looking for, is this an, a voice that I haven't heard before? Um, but, but also, I mean, there, you know, just being on what's just been said, you, you, Theatre and, and screen are allied, but they're they're craft-wise very different. And I think one of the fundamental differences between the two is how how the audience works. You know, um, if I had to compare my time working in the theatre with the time working in the screen, one of the brilliant things about working in the theatre is you can lock your audience in for the first forty-five minutes. They can, I mean, they can't go anywhere, you know, unless they really hate it. You know. <laughs> I mean, they have to really viscerally object to it to get it. So, yeah. so you have time in a, in, a, in a stage piece to to bring to blend in lots of stuff and to let your character grow and stuff. You don't have that luxury in television. Basically, within the first forty-five to sixty seconds, your audience needs to know who it's about, what it's about, where it's about, what's going to happen, because that's the point at which that that my audience decides whether they're in or out. Um, and and you know, I said earlier about watch television actively. What what happens in the first 60 seconds of television now. Um, most dramas, they put this first scene on before the titles. There's a reason for that. That's not just a kind of style choice of the moment. It's so that you are locking, either you're, you're locking your audience in or giving them the opportunity to go somewhere else. Um, so, so it is, you know, hitting the ground running is really, really important in television in a way that it isn't in theatre. Theatre has a lot. So, so the way a play works, in many ways, it has similarities in terms of character and story and lots sort of stuff. But actually, just craft-wise, it works quite differently. So I'm looking for someone who, now I can teach that. I can teach how that works. What I can't teach is that amazing authorial voice. So, I mean, a good example is when we get our four or 5,000 scripts in the big open call every year, you know, it would be a much funnier anecdote if I was able to tell you how bad most of them were. But most of the scripts aren't bad. Most of the scripts are fine. They're well structured. They've read Save the Cat and Into the Woods and, you know, Sid Field and all that stuff. People have done the homework and they, they know about turning points and, and, and all that sort of stuff. But there's something just not sparky in the middle. And then you'll read something that maybe isn't as beautifully structured as that, but has a really engaging character. Who's, and the, the writer is, is talking with a passion about something they really care about. And that's what draws you towards that writer as having something interesting to say. And it's the same in the theatre. You know, you, you watch something and it really touches you on a very human level. And you go, I want to talk to that person because they have an artistic and creative spark, which I think we could maybe work with. Um, hello. Um, so the kind of way I work in creating the shows, well, I'm not British festivals, so my writing is okay, but not amazing. Uh, but usually when I work in creating shows, like, uh, it's always come from like improvisation, like physical theater. So I can write and I do write my shows, but then if I think about developing and thinking about screen, 
I would represent flower for the writer. Is that, but, but still retain kind of the artistic direction of the shows I'm making and the stories I want to tell and the characters I want to create? Is that something that can still be done in applying like, to a lot of our writers' room and writers and writers and writers? Is there like a collaboration that can happen? And would you look into that or would you necessarily be interested just in the writers? I'll answer this because we've literally just done this recently. Um, we have a, a performance artist that we went to see their show and thought it was like one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Um, but they don't write, they, they do improv. And we've teamed them up with another writer who writes which who we knew who who knew like i knew that she'd, she'd get on with the subject matter and like they we basically just introduced them for coffee and now they've gone off and they're going to write something together like a little kind of beat sheet of what they're going to explore so i i think it's like we also do that as production companies we try and like team up because we also do it with like emerging um so like on our tv series that i was just talking about we've teamed her up with a really experienced writer so she's writing with them as well so that they can it's almost like a mentorship but a creative one rather than you know so that does happen as well like sometimes you know production companies will go this is a really incredible voice i'm really interested in it but if it's not a thing that you if you if you're not the sort of person that will sit and write first before you make stuff we normally would te team you up with someone who does do that I know, uh, Olga, you work a lot with, you brought up Charlie a few times. How does that dynamic uh, kind of evolve or work itself? Yeah, so I, I have a very long-standing part. So I've written, I'm writing my fifth show now and it, it, I've worked on all of them with my best friend, Charlie Dinkin, and she is, she she's everything. Oh my God, I'm obsessed with her. She's a producer, <laughs> she's a director, she's a writer, she's a digital anthropologist. She's like, she's done everything under the sun. And so in my live shows, I, I'm, I write like jokes and sometimes I'll tell a story but i am very bad at structure so i she will like listen to hours of me just do material about any old shit and then she'll be like i think this show is about this so um i i find it, it's a very exciting creative partnership for someone to be so good at the big picture stuff because i'm only good at the dick jokes that make up the big picture <laughs> um and then, but together I th and like we both know our roles very well and we respect the other like we respect the other person's skills uh very much and all and again the funnest part of the show is not performing it or touring it or filming it the funnest part of the show is sitting down with charlie and being like which dick jokes go where <laughs> and then also simon i know you once told me that uh writer partnerships are there's always a, a walker and a typer working with partnerships is really interesting because they tend not to we talked about notes earlier and how catastrophic that can feel um Partnerships don't take notes quite as badly because mm. neither of them feels that they're responsible. <laughs> um, but, but actually, to be sort of, you know, less flippant, um, they look at it more with more clarity. They look at notes with more clarity, I think. And they can discuss it with each other, of course, which is really important. Um, and I've worked with quite a few writing partnerships, and I really like that experience, actually. Probably because it's more friends in the room, which is always nice. More brains. More brains in the room, yeah. 
And also when you have the other person, you've already explained what it is that you want to do to someone else, which is what you're essentially trying to do with a script when you're selling it. And so having that first filter is so important. Yeah, I mean, writing partnerships, I think, sort of almost self-edit as they go along. And, you know, you've got some, you know, you've got somebody else who you have to regard as much as you regard yourself. Who will say that? Yeah, and it's, it's a terrible idea. It's also so useful. Exactly. It's so useful to be like, what about this? And someone just goes, no, that's really shit. And you really believe it. But you're like, well, you, we're on the same page. So it's okay if you say that. Like, you just get really honest, direct yeah. feedback. Like, you know. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I hope that that kind of took a turn, but find find a partner, I guess. <laughs> it's Everybody get a writing partner. <laughs> I wanted to ask on the subject matter of um, co-writers, um, when you have creative differences with the how you resolve that, what sort of filter, what you sort of resolve those differences, essentially, particularly if you're, if you're quite passionate about them, um, uh, without spoiling the relationship, of course. Uh, and the last question was about um, IP and uh, that conversation, particularly for people who don't have interest in representative, having those conversations can be a little bit scary and um, you never want to come across as like combative, but you also want to make sure that you're not in a precarious situation. Um, and also, if you come from a background where there's nobody around you, you can have that conversation and sort of turn against that dog. Um, so, yeah, please do. Thank you so much. I'll answer the co writing really quickly. I'm, uh, I have limited co writing experience because it is just with Charlie, but we've been working for seven years, and I would say that it's never come to, to a point where we couldn't resolve it. And more often than not, one person feels more passionately. So, someone loves a joke a little bit, but the other person hates it a lot. Or the other, or some person loves the joke so much, and the other one hates it a little bit. So whoever feels more strongly is the one who wins. And I think the fact that we respect each other so much, and we like, frankly, find the other person the funniest person in the world. Usually, that that respect resolves everything. Uh, on IP, do you mean this? in if you bring in a, uh, do you mean like contracts? contracts. So we yeah. we don't work I will never give a contract I just won't do it although maybe, maybe like, oh, I'm gonna be like the rest of my company will be like what um I we always find you an agent like if we love the work like the t I keep talking about this tv series but we found her an agent to negotiate with them because I won't negotiate with you because it's not fair and also you shouldn't ever have to negotiate for your own work so we normally find you an agent um we run an award with, uh, we do an award with the NFTS as well. And obviously they're kind of coming out of, uh, you know, their two year and normally not a lot of them are not represented. So we find, yeah, we find you an agent because it's, it's not fair. There you go. That's my strong opinion. If you can't find an agent and you're dealing, you're looking at a contract to speak to the Writers Guild, um, if you're a member, because they have a contract reading service and they will advise you, and they're really good. Amazing, great question. I've had a couple of conversations over the last couple of weeks. I was showing you at the end of January, back this week, um, but there was sort of conversations last year about turning this into sort of TV treatment. But what I've heard, you said very much focusing on like the script and getting the script ready, Having that ready so that if there is an opportunity to send to people, then you've got it all ready to go. 
Um, that kind of contradicts what people have been saying about like having a treatment and just devising like the biographies of everyone. And I'm kind of I don't know a bit flustered about it. What do we want first? Oh my god! Yeah. Um, you will get treatments because you haven't written for TV before. So they like, cause it happens a lot. I'll read something and go, this is a really amazing 60 minutes, but what happens after this? Because you've got the idea, but what, where's the rest of it? And because it's a, it's just having a bit of a, I just need to know that you're, you've got a whole bunch of ideas that you've got coming out. Biographies are just, I don't read those. Like as a person, like just, I'm just being honest. When I, when stuff comes to me, I will read like the first, I will read all the story. That is what I will read. I'm not really interested in like the character because if the, if the work is good, the character will come out of your dialogue. I'm not really interested. Like you don't need to tell me their backstory because it should be in your dialogue. So like I should know all of that without having to read little things. But um, yeah, like it's the, I, I get it because it feels like a lot of work. Like I know it because I'm going like, what happens to the other eight episodes that you're going to write? You know, but it's just it's just having an idea of like I suppose the first treatment. If you're looking at like a page and a half and going, if you if you want to like for example, if you're going to send like a um, a thriller. You just need, I need to know like what the big twist is, when does it happen, and what's important about the story to you. Because then I'm like, fuck, I really want to read the rest of this stuff. Like, you know, you, you want to be inspiring and sending something that's like 15. I, I sometimes get treatments that are 15 pages long and I'm like, this is long, man. Like, I, it's like I'd rather just read something that's really short and punchy. Um, also, images are really good send mood boards so they're really really helpful particularly for us because we're working in screen like you know visuals are really really important and also comparisons because we do it with our coverage when we send coverage out like a really good so i've got like 20 readers i work with who read our what like read everything for us and at the top of our thing we've got like this really quick bar of what is strong about it and then at the end it'll be like what's the what's the comparison so it'll be like good fellas meets flea bag or something and it's a really quick way of going i know exactly where to put this in the slate or like is this something that we're looking for so that's really good if you can put it in your treatment it can be like it's this and this and it's really good way of summing it up but yeah definitely write treatment but don't you don't need to spend like your whole life on it the script is better like if the script is freaking amazing we will meet you for a coffee and then you can explain it in person you know <laughs> so Hi, um, firstly, thanks for putting this on. It's um, been really valuable for me. Um, I have been cheeky, I'm not a performer at all. And in fact, um, this year I've just made a complete decision to just go after what I've always wanted to do, and it's been a complete career change for me. So, my question to you is I've done research and I've gone online, and every single thing I come across, it feels like there's such a massive hurdle to get, you know, to get over. So before I ended up spending thousands of pounds on a bloody creative writing degree, I've spoken my question to you is how easy is it for somebody who's completely bored to it all to get their foot in the door? Because um, I am confident, completely confident in my capabilities um, and my ideas, but it seems like you've got to have something. That's what, that's what it, um, I don't mean personally, but everyone I seem to talk to, it's like, well, what have you done? Or have you been to this school? Or have you got 
any sort of experience in theatre or writing at all, and I haven't. I think for me, um, the urgency is a little bit more there because I am mature. <laughs> so I'm thinking, shit, no, I'm not fresh out of uni, I'm not in my 20s, I'm not even in my 30s. So giving some advice, guys, like what, what's the answer for, for someone that's completely limited? Sorry, no, but what you know what I will also say it's why we don't say young writers anymore. It's why we say emerging writers. Because like I keep talking about Laura because <laughs> with Breathless, like Laura's first play, which she wrote last year, which got was was final like it was a finalist in the award and also is now going to off Broadway and has a London transfer, like she's done all this stuff. It was her first play she's ever written. And she's not in her twenties, is what I will say, right? So they, it, and also, like, experience is what makes you a really good writer. Honestly, it's true. Like, if you live, you experience more stuff. It makes your writing better. So it's not. It feels like um, so many courses that people require you to go on, and I understand completely that you. I mean, I know you said structure you don't really pay attention to, but I do know that. You can have the best ideas in the world, but you have to translate that, you know, into a script. So I get that completely. But I suppose I'm asking you, do you have to have the creative writing degree? I studied computer science. <laughs> genuinely never taken a creative degree uh, writing. I mean, I w wouldn't say that I'm extremely successful, but I will say no one's ever asked for a diploma. No, I've never in my career asked somebody if they've got a creative writing degree. I mean, you know, I'm not going to tell you one way or the other whether you should do it or not. I think that's up to you. And I think it's very much up to what you think the course will give you. I think there's a mathematical, a very simple mathematical question, which is, do I spend X thousand pounds on doing that course or do I keep that money and let my, to live, to live on and write three scripts? Now, I can't tell you which is right for you, but I mean, I, I, most of the writers I work with haven't done a creative writing course. So, sorry, I won't take it that No, you're fine. Um, well, the other thing I would say, sorry, just to interrupt, um, with the age thing, um, I had nothing of value whatsoever to say when I was in my 20s. I mean, I'm a man, so I thought I did, but I really didn't. <laughs> so, so, I mean, you know, and actually what's interesting is most of the writers that that I find that we engage with, there's a sort of bell curve of age, because we're, we're very often, you know, BBC is the victim of the Freedom of Information Act quite a lot, and we're quite often asked about the ages of writers, especially do we deal with older writers, whatever people mean by that. But there is a sort of bell curve of writers you cut through, and kind, you know, there's the, the, the odd amazing sort of exception and they're they're 19 and you think my god you're the brightest person i've ever met and the sort of the, at the other end of the bell curve that you've got people who are in their 60s who suddenly have you know a, you know they've had, they've done a job and they've retired and they've got oh my god and they've got something really just to say but the vast majority of writers who are cutting through they're kind of in their 30s and 40s that sort of age group seems to when people feel that then they've probably got something to say you know like that's why you're picking it up now do you know what I mean? I like it's, it's terrifying, um, but this is something I've been doing pretty much all my life. That I just decided to have a different career path and 
that's it. I'm, I'm no regrets, but now I do think you know, I've got a I've got a going for it. But it is scary when you're stuck, you know, all these networking things you come across. That's the first thing people say, So what have you written? What have you been like? You know what I would say about that? Do you mean other peers that you're going, yeah, yeah. So they're doing it to make them, sorry, but they're doing it to make themselves feel less scared. Everyone is fucking terrified in those rooms and literally everyone's going, well, what have you done? Like, it's the same thing. Like if you go to like my first day of uni, I turned up, I hadn't read anything on the syllabus and this guy came up, I still remember it. This guy came up to me and was like, so what did you think about chapter whatever and whatever? And I was like, I didn't fucking read it. Like, I'm, it's Freshers' Week and I'm here to have fun. And um, <laughs> like meet people, like meet your friends, you know? And like, it's only because he was feeling really insecure about being amongst all those other people. You know, it's, I wouldn't, you know, it's all about what other, they're saying that because of themselves, you know? I mean, I think, I think you know something that's just really important. It's really glib. It sounds really glib, but you just keep writing. You know, the the next script you write is always better than the last one, and and that that's how you become. I mean, it's how you get better at everything. You know, um, you get better at sport by doing it. You get better at I don't know a musical instrument by doing it. I'm same with writing. The more you write, the better you will become. And the more you will understand yourself about what it is you want to say and who you want to say it to. Those two things are really, really important. And what's great about television is that if there's one single person that you can think of who really needs to hear what you want to say, you can then multiply that up by a million of people you've never met, but who are, who are out there at the other end of the screen. So just think about what is it I want to say and who do I want to say it to? I was wondering how important is a literary agent in all of this? That's just sometimes thinking about like getting doors that way. Um, and I was wondering one very quick question. I was impressed at your commitment to emails. Um, and oh, I have a file. Oh. So I, I, I actually got this from a, a director, a director who I like huge, big, massive fan. I was a bit obsessed with her for years. And um, she has a file, like because people write her letters because everyone tells you as a director, you have to handwrite letters because apparently it's, I don't agree with that as a rule, but she has a file of letters and every Friday she replies. Uh, and you know, the thing I'm told that always come with something new, but I just feel like I get to the second email and uh I've just got nothing new. And like, is there a tactic? You just go, hi, I'm following up. Yeah. It's me again. <laughs> yeah. Please reply to me. Like, do you like, honestly? Oh, yeah. Just say yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we've all done the same face. We've all got, yeah. Um, I mean, agents have their place and they can be incredibly useful. Um, in, in the screen world, independent production companies often, but not always, use them as a filter. So they will not read anything unsolicited unless it's come via an, an agency. So that can be very difficult for the underrepresented writer because they just literally can't get their work in front of people who they want to see it. Um, when you sort of get to the other end um, where well, as, as you said, I sh we shouldn't be talking to writers about money because that's getting in the way of the creative process. We should just be having a creative conversation. And if you have an agent, they can be talking to the, you know, um, the people that, that, that I keep.
in order to um, to do that sort of deal and they can shout at each other without us even knowing about that, you know. Um, but if the question is, how do you get one? It's really hard. Um, and it is about sending, you know, sending your scripts to, to them fairly persistently, but also being slightly doing your homework on, on who you think would work for you best. Um, I kind of, I never believe in the shotgun approach to anything. I think sending out a thousand emails to a thousand different agencies is, is sort of pointless. You want to file it down to, they represent writers whose work I really like, which probably means that you do similar stuff, which probably means that agent might like you. Mm. Um, but I won't pretend it's easy. I think it's it's difficult. Although in my experience, writers tend to get agents at the right moment. Would you agree? Do you think that's true? Definitely. My God. Yeah. Because they, they they do come to you when you want you need them. It's it's pretty amazing actually. <laughs> like, um, but like I think um, my emailing is a bit different because I was looking for a, like advice on my job, what to do with my life. <laughs> A lot of that. It's like, I want to work in film. And then someone literally went, you know, there's like 16 different producing roles you can have. And I was like, what? Like, I, I, I thought there was only one. Like, I thought I just wanted to be a producer and that was it. Mm. Whereas with the writing, like it's what Simon's saying, you want to just really pinpoint. Like there are some... Like you'll realize, because we have this, the same agents come up again and again and again because they have got amazing taste. And you'll just... If you start... I would keep like a, because I do this for writers now, I have a spreadsheet and the writers have the same, like all the writers who I love have the same, four, there are like four agents I work with basically again and again because they have amazing taste. But I mean, obviously having to answer your question, obviously it's really useful to have one, but it is also very difficult to get one. Um, and like on our website, we don't take unsolicited work because legally we just can't take it. So like this is different because you've all met me so you can actually email me and say, hey. <laughs> but um, it's really difficult for us to read stuff if there isn't a filter um, just because it actually protects you more than us for your IP. Yeah. I mean, to, for some writers it kind of becomes, the same with actors actually, it sort of becomes your job is getting an age that it becomes a slightly obsessive job and actually it's taking you away from doing what you're meant to be doing. I mean, piece of advice that was given to me a long time ago is you're better off with no agent than a bad agent. Oh my God, yes. So, yes. you know, if rather than signing up to someone you've never heard of who, you know, be really, really circumspect, respect yourself more than that mm -hmm. and think, no, that's not, that person's not gonna to do that for me. Same with acting agents. If any of you guys are actors, it's really not worth like just represent yourself. And comedy agents. <laughs> All right, and I think we've got perfect. I think these got that question, and then we'll go there, and then. Yeah. Um, just a question about uh, if you have something that you're performing that. I don't feel the one I have will translate very well to screen, but I have two other screens left. So how do you guys as producers, if you see a performer, I think the first thing what I'm doing would be like Matthew Palomino's quote throws and doctor ground director stuff. Um, so if yeah, if you meet with someone and they go, 
I'm not sure that this would translate into a TV series like Breakfast with Ghost and Blood. But I have these things that are loosely related if I talk about them. Yeah, is there a sense of disappointment that you can't take that work and make it into TV? I see a lot of amazing theatre that should not be on screen. Yeah. Like so much. And like, this is going to sound really like obvious, but you would have written it for screen if it was meant to be on screen. Like some things are really like just absolutely incredible in front of a live audience. There's a dialogue. It works in a space where other people can interact with you. So like that's actually that would actually be one my one bit of advice is that um really 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 think about whether it's worth adapting it for screen don't just do it because it's the idea you've had recently and you're like i want to get paid for work because that's literally why everybody moves into screen um (laughs) one of the reasons and um like i'd really really interrogate that because a lot of stuff i've seen and a lot of scripts i've read like plays i've read just shouldn't be on screen because they just won't work they won't have the same intensity it's not because it's not good sometimes they're like the best things i have ever seen and they just should never be on a screen because you need the experience in the room um but i would say is uh coming to see a show if particularly if you're in it i get a really good sense of who you are so and also i'm in the room with you so we can chat do you know do you know what i mean and like and then you can follow up with a spec just be like i know it's not this but or you might think it's not for screen and then we come and see it and go it'd be really amazing if you took this character and put it in this yeah you know because I, I mean, I develop writers rather than projects. I actively discourage writers that I found in the theatre to adapt that piece for telly. I, I ask them to do something completely different um, because I think sometimes you, you, your brain is still lodged in the bits of the stage show that worked, but they worked because they're stage show. And not every project is right for every medium. And sometimes you don't know until you're halfway through it. I mean, I've worked on projects and, you know, we've been writing a script like Mad and the the day comes, you go, oh, bugger, it's a play, isn't it? You know, but that's okay. You know, it has it has somewhere to go. But not every piece of writing works and everything. I mean, there's no very bad joke, really. But, um, you know, we, we all say. Shakespeare writes much better for the radio than for television. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, so Shakespeare television is really dull. Let's all just be honest. And and, and because he's not a screenwriter, you know. Um, so I, th- I think, you know, look at the thing you've got. Be very honest with yourself. Is this actually a television series or is it a film? You know, there's sometimes I read a script and I go, this is a feature. It, You know, they've sent me a 60 minute, but actually... This is all the sort of the DNA of a feature film. That's what this should be turned into. Um, so it just requires, I think, being just a little bit honest with what something actually is. That's really good. Thank you. Last question. Oh, perfect. <laughs> is there any advantage in developing the script once you're in it all the way through? Um, in my first script, I kept on going in the road into a hallway, and I started reading off the wall. So that come across as really like set in the direction of the script, or is it, is it a good thing, or would you kind of recommend only sort of developing the pilot of each um, story? 
personally, I strongly advise people not to write the yeah. whole series for the very simple reason that you might write eight episodes and then you bring it into someone like me and I look at the first bit of your pilot and I go, we've already got one of these. So you've completely wasted your time. You might as well have written eight pilots. Yeah. Um, and to be absolutely honest, if somebody loves your pilot episode so much that they want six more, they can bloody well pay for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, honestly, don't don't write eight hours of TV. Don't. This is a crisis thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, well, I was like, do write eight hours, but eight different hours. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know. Of the same out uh, of the same hour, as in like the first hour, sort of thing. Don't write the whole series. We pay for that, so. Yeah, but one thing that, that I think one can get from writing a whole series, I know some writers who always write two episodes because they want a proof of concept. It happens in comedy quite a lot as well, that, you know, especially in comedy, actually, they'll write a pilot episode and episode two just to, to see if the proof of concept actually works. And I get that, but also in drama, you, you want to seed a lot of stuff in your first episode that might not come out until further down the line. But you don't have to write eight episodes to work out what that is. You just need to think a bit about where your story's going to go. So you are seeding that in the pilot episode, but absolutely only write pilot episodes. Amazing. Well, that uh, takes us to time, but thank you to our wonderful audience and thank you to our brilliant panel. That was amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this fabulous panel. Please find us across the web on social media at Greenlit Fund or visit us online at greenlit.com. 